Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. We're going to look at a few passages in Matthew, but we'll start in Matthew 11, Hebrews chapter 10, Luke chapter 18, and Matthew chapter 11. Today's the final study in this series we've been on called Under Contract. It doesn't mean that we've exhausted the subject, not even close, Uh, but we've kind of hit the mountaintops and give you a framework of understanding for what it means to be in a covenant with God through Jesus Christ. And we've been deeply diving into scripture. And the premise that we've carried with us every single time is that this is a really important uh, topic, especially for those people that have accepted Jesus, call themselves Christian, but come to realize they really don't have any confidence. And I'm talking about rubber meets the road, put your feet on the ground. This is how I live my life. They really don't have any confidence on the integrity of God's word, at least, at least not in its entirety, nor in the faithfulness of God to meet them in their everyday circumstances, real time, relevant answers, and make a difference. Now they're kind of hoping, you know, maybe God will do something really cool, but, but no confidence in that. And yet the Bible all over thousands of references But the one we circled on was in Hebrews chapter 6. It tells us that God so wanted us to be confident that he did something extraordinary. Something he didn't have to do. And when we realize that he did it, it's hard for us even to get our head wrapped around it. But Hebrews 6.17 says that when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, that meant he's not going to change his mind. He's a promise keeper. He's not a promise, just a promise maker, and then we'll see. He's certainly not a promise breaker, but he's a promise keeper. And when he wanted to convince us beyond any shadow of a doubt, it goes on and said he guaranteed it with an oath. Well, if you read the context, which we've studied, you find out he signed a contract because we understand contracts. People can say wonderful things. They can make great promises because they're of the warmth and the intent of their heart, but it doesn't get real till the name goes on a piece of paper and you know, oh, Okay, now they're serious. They're locked in. God was so serious not to keep his promise. He was already going to do that. But he was so serious to convince you and I that he was going to keep his promise that he did something that it's hard to get our head wrapped around. God signed a contract. And verse 19 goes on and says, we have this, we have that contract, that covenant with God as a sure and a steadfast anchor to our soul. You want to know why some people are able just to stay steady as she goes when everything around them is falling apart? Because something's anchoring them in place. It's not just a warm, fuzzy emotion. It's not because, you know, they keep themselves inspired. It's because they know something that those around them don't know. And I mean, they know it like no one's going to talk them out of it. This confidence that God is, we're in a covenant, a contract with a living God and he's faithful, he will never break that. That holds us as an anchor, no matter what's happening around us, we can trust that God's telling the truth. 
Well, we've done a lot of study, and again, we didn't exhaust it, but, but I gave you guys some materials, some supplements. You've got workbooks there. We never cover everything in the workbook. That'll certainly be true today. Lots of supporting scriptures, lots of other things that you can dive into, uh, and as well as a book that I've recommended called God Swears to Keep His Promises. Phenomenal job handling the subject of the blood covenant all the way through the Bible, and easy to read. It's not super academic. It's not something you have to be real theological, but it really lays it out much more exhaustively than we've been able to do. So my encouragement, go back and get the podcast. If you don't have all three workbooks, then go get all three of them and spend some time just in your devotion time walking back through these. And, uh, and, uh, and then if you want to pick up that book as a supplement, that would be a, a worthwhile purchase. Well, today we're going to, as our final lesson, we're going to talk about the importance of spiritual endurance. And this was so important that the early church actually called it, his hist- historical documents tell us, the early church called it the queen of all virtues. Because they believed that if you possessed spiritual endurance, if you'd built that up in your life, no matter what came down the pipe, no matter who and how and where and what circumstance was pressuring you, you could survive and overcome anything if you had spiritual endurance. And really the same is true today. We, we see it all the way through the New Testament that validates this. It's still the, the key to victoriously outlasting and overcoming any and all challenges that life uh, in a fallen world will throw at us. And by the way, that's true all the way till Jesus comes and gets us. It's not true just till we get into the dangerous last times and it's kind of every man for himself, you know, just try to hang on and hopefully you can survive. These principles work to give strength and an overcoming authority and and ability no matter what's happening all the way till Jesus calls us home. And of course, once we get there, we don't need it anymore, right? Because we're inside of his care and his covering and we're following after him. But let me read you a base verse, a couple of verses we're going to use this morning, and then we'll jump into what this really means and how you and I can, every single one of us can and should be learning to walk in this to stabilize and fortify our life. Hebrews chapter 10, first place I ask you to turn, we're going to look at verse 35 and 36. It says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence. Remember that anchor of the soul. Whatever you do, don't pull that anchor up. Whatever you do, don't disconnect that. But it says, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. I have to just pause and tell you, great reward, when the Bible uses these descriptives, it it means exactly what he said. So the word great comes from the Greek word megas, which is where we get mega, which means something that is supersized. I mean, it's just like, it's huge, it's huge, more than you can ever use. And the the word reward comes from a very interesting word that's not used often in the New Testament, but it literally means a paycheck, Something that you've done what you're supposed to do, and then you get your reward or you get your paycheck. But this paycheck is so all-inclusive, it's not just a payout. It goes back and reimburses you for all of the discomfort and everything that it cost you while you were doing what you're supposed to do. So it's an all-inclusive reward, reaching way back in your history when you started obeying all the way forward to what God promised he would do in the outcome. So when it says there's a great reward, it means we should keep our eye out that God wants to do something extraordinary. I think about what the book of Ephesians says, that exceedingly, abundantly, far above anything you ever even asked or dreamed about according to the power 
that's working in you. So he says, don't disconnect from that power. Don't throw away your confidence because there's a great reward that's coming. Verse 36, for or because you have need of endurance so that when other translations say after you have done the will of God, you may receive, other translations say you will receive what was promised. Now, that word endurance is what we're kind of rallying around this morning. And it's a really great uh, uh, Greek word, hupomeno. And, and it's a Greek word that lives on this spectrum. And, and it's, it's, it's two different approaches that, and everything that lies in between. So let me tell you what they were. The, the first part of it conveys the idea of staying in one spot or remaining steadfast or consistent or unwavering regardless of the circumstances. So we're not, you know, we're not easily moved. We are, are fixed in what we believe and what we know to be true. And we're just going to remain steadfast in that. And so that's one side of it. However, on the other side of the spectrum, it, it's a military term. And this is the term that was used often to describe soldiers who were given an order that they were to maintain their position. They were to hold a certain ground or a certain territory, regardless of how fierce the combat was. And so when, when you understand the spectrum of the meaning of this Greek word, you can see it used in its varying capacities all the way through the New Testament. On one side, often it's talking about this unwavering resolve to remain patiently fixed or patiently steadfast until the situation changes because God promised it would. So we latch on to the promise and say, okay, Lord, I don't know how to fix this. I have no idea how you're going to fix it or when you're going to fix it, but you promised you would. So I plant my life in that promise and I just refuse to budge. I'm going to remain patiently steadfast and I'll outlast that situation because God promised it would change. However, on the other side, it also shows up in the New Testament as this militant attitude that says, listen, I'm never going to give up on this thing. God has promised me something. God has provided something for me. And I will fight to the end to maintain or to possess what God has worked so hard and paid such a precious price to purchase for me. And, and so somewhere on those spectrums tells us what spiritual endurance really means. Now, the rest of the study, we're going we're gonna to kind of do an overview. And I mean that overview. We will not exhaust this. But I'm going to give you a, an overview that's as practical as I know how to make it in one session. And we're going to talk about each side of these things. And I'm going to give you three truths on each side that will help you and I to engage the level of endurance that the Word of God is teaching us. And the first one shows up in Luke chapter 18, which is the second passage that I uh, let you know that you could turn to. And it's a parable that many Christians are super familiar with. It's the parable of the persistent widow and the unjust judge. And so Luke chapter 18, verse 1, this is Jesus introducing this. It says, and he told them a parable to the effect that, listen, they ought always to pray and not lose heart. In other words, he told them a parable, and before you hear the story, here's the point of the parable. Here's what he's trying to get you to understand, that we should always pray and we should never lose heart. Well, let's look at a couple of those terms there so we really understand. The word pray, here's the Greek word pros ukomai, and it literally means to change your position, to lean in close to another and to understand their heart and then to make a request that'll put you in agreement with them. 
And so this proseukamai is a picture of someone who, who gets really close to God's heart. So it's not they're looking at a situation, well, I just want this to happen. Well, they're saying, okay, before I do anything, let me see what God has said about this. Let me see what God's thought and God's attitude. And they lean in to begin to understand God's heart, looking through the Bible, asking the Holy Spirit for wisdom. And once they, be, they, they have a confidence inside, okay, I know what God's thinking, then they lean into God and they begin passionately saying, then Lord, that's what I need to happen in my life. That's what I want to happen. So the, there's this request, passionate, but it's a request based on an agreement that is discovered by the one coming that, that needs something. And notice this, it says that we ought always to do that. That should be our posture with everything. Rather than just running to the Lord and freaking out, we need money, we need peace, we need, we need something. We should stop and say, what's going on here? What's God said to us? What's the covenant promised us? What does the contract provide and Holy Spirit, how do you want me to approach this? And once we begin to, to kind of get our heart and our head wrapped around that, then we go to God and we say, Lord, okay, I'm coming into agreement with what you said. Then Lord, this is the way you set it up. And so I'm, I'm, I'm moving in here and I'm going to begin to pray and I'm going to begin to believe and ask that you will do what you promised you would do. That's the word pray. And notice it says we should always take that approach. Everything. Always take that approach, and we should do it without losing heart. And the word losing heart here is another phenomenal word in the Greek. It means literally pictures to lose one's grip. You're holding on to something, but the other opposing force is so, so, you know, so tough that you can feel it slipping, feel it slipping, and you finally just loosen your grip. Or it means to, show, uh, to slow one's pace. In other words, you just get worn down. So you started out saying, no, I'm going to believe God. I know it's true. And after a period of time, it's not working. And you begin to feel your, your level of enthusiasm and commitment and passion begin to diminish and you lose. Or, or it also means to lose resolve and or momentum. Eventually you throw in the towel. So here's what I want you to see, even though we're not using the Greek word hupomeno, the idea that Jesus is driving home is very much this one of standing your ground. Men are always to lean into God and understand what God's promised and put themselves in agreement with what God wants to do. And then they should do that refusing to lose their grip, refusing to lose the intensity of their faith. Learning to refuel that and allow that to remain constant for as long as it takes until it happens. Okay, now, you got that. That's the point of the story that he's driving, driving home. Now let's read the story, and some of you are going to see something you've never seen before. In Luke chapter 18, now we're in verse 2. This is the story. He said, this is Jesus, in a certain city there was a judge, notice this, who neither feared God nor respected man. He was not a good judge. Not a moral guy. Not, not a great guy here, right? Verse 3, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. In other words, she's asking, she's praying without losing heart. She knows what he's supposed to do. She knows what should happen. And she keeps coming, looking for the justice that was promised. Verse number four, for a while he refused. 
But afterward, he said to himself, although I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continually coming. In other words, she, he, he'd show up to the office and be like, oh my goodness, she's here again. She's exhausting. She just won't stop, right? Verse number six, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Whoa, what? Because this is where most Christians take a turn. And what they think the parable said is, and the Lord said, see what the persistent widow was doing? Now, that's the moral of the story, no question about it. But he's trying to get you to see something that will help to give you the confidence that you can always pray and not lose heart. And he's doing it by a comparison, a contrast between the righteous judge of the earth and an unjust judge. Now watch this. He says, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and now he shows you the contrast. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Now, three truths that this parable pulls out that will anchor your soul or will encourage you to, to step into that process of understanding what God wants, to begin to plead your case and to pray to the Lord, asking for, for him to do what he promised, and to do it without losing your grip for as long as it takes until the promise comes. Three things that will be super encouraging. Here's number one. Number one, for you to realize God is not an unjust and uncaring judge. He's not. But see, lots of people think he is, right? I don't even know if you're listening to my prayer. I feel like you're way out somewhere and I'm all by myself. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Where are you getting that stuff from? Because you're not getting it from anywhere in the Bible. Nowhere. Especially not parables like this. And the point that Jesus is making is, this is how a lot of people view God. He really doesn't care about what's going on. He's got bigger fish to fry. He's got his own agenda. Every once in a while, he's like, fine, fine. You're just bugging me so much. And so some Christians make the point of the story, if you bug God enough, then maybe you'll get what you want. That was not the point of the story. Absolutely not. In fact, the characterization of the unjust judge compared against this righteous judge shows us that God is a just and a super caring God, and he's approachable, he's engaging, and listen to me, he is faithful to respond the way he's supposed to. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. It says, for we do not have a high priest that is unable, I'll add unwilling, to sympathize with our weakness. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, let us then, or because we know that, because God's not aloof. He's not like unresponsive. He's not like that. that I don't have time to deal with all that little stuff. He's not like that. It says, let us then with confidence anchored endurance, draw near to the throne of grace. Why? So that we may receive mercy. We're not hoping, well, maybe the Lord, no, not maybe, he will. He promised, it's in the contract. So that we may receive mercy and we may find grace and uh, to help in the time of need. And that last phrase is one of my favorite. In the time of need actually comes from one Greek word. And it means in those moments, in those seasons, in those circumstances when you need it the most. 
It's unqualified. Maybe you caused the circumstance. You made bad decisions. You got yourself in a mess. Or maybe the world's crashing in. Doesn't matter. Anywhere on those spectrums, if you have a relationship with God, if you're part of uh, his family, you're a child of God, when you need help, your father, the judge of all the earth, is quick to listen. Quick to listen. This is what the Bible says. Okay, here's the second thing, and we find it back in Luke chapter 18, verse, the first part of verse 8. Jesus saying, I tell you that he will give justice to them speedily. Here's the second thing. God answers our prayers speedily. Every time. Now listen, I'm, I'm going to say something that we need to be big boys and big girls to hear, okay? He always answers speedily. You just don't always like what he says. But God is attentive and God is responsive. L- listen to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. And for some of you that you know, kind of start splitting hairs, let me just be up front and tell you, the context of the verse we're about to read, it happens to be the rapture of the church. And so he, he's saying that, I know the rapture of the church is taking longer than you think. And you know, most people thought, you know, their grandma thought it was going to be before her lifetime and their parents. And, and now we're wrestling with this. But he's saying, listen, God's not relaxed or slow on the promise because we think. He's talking about the rapture, but this is a principle that applies to all of his promises. But listen to this. It says the Lord isn't really uh, being slow about his promise, at least not the way some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake because he doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. Let me tell you something about this honorable judge of the earth who we happen to be a part of his family. Listen to me. He hears and responds to his children quickly, but he does so like any good parent without losing sight of the larger picture. What's going on in your life? What about the other people that are going to be affected? And he moves to to create the best approach, the best strategy, so that the highest good, the biggest win can be accomplished for everybody. So sometimes he doesn't give you what you want right when you want it because he wants to develop something in you or because somebody else needs to benefit. And if you could just wait a week or so, then it's not just about you. Other people would enjoy this too, but we don't often trust him enough. And so we get frustrated. You're taking forever. You're not even listening to me. Listen to me. I don't know where you're getting that stuff from, except for out of your own emotions. You're not getting it from the word of God. Jesus is teaching us. We can pray always and never lose our grip because we know something about this God that he, he always answers our prayer speedily. Well, let me go back to verse 8, Luke 18, and we'll grab our final truth before we move on. And here, here's the big wrap-up, the big finish. So this one's really important. He says, nevertheless. So we've got an unjust judge. We've got a widow. He keeps begging over and over. We've got Jesus and comparing him, saying, yeah, that's not like God. He's not like that. He really cares. He'll listen really quick. But then Jesus says, but nevertheless, regardless of all that stuff that happens right there, nevertheless, here's the big question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Because the point of the story is we have to learn to begin to, uh, to, to lean in in prayer and not lose our grip. That's the point of the story. It really doesn't matter circumstances. Now, he's helping us to understand circumstances so we can be strong. But the point is, do we trust God or not? Are we trusting God because it looks like it's going to happen? Well, that's kind of a lower level of trust. Or are we trusting God because God promised it would and God signed a contract? Is that enough? 
What if you trust God and things get worse? Because if you haven't experienced it or noticed it, most of the time they do. It usually gets worse before it gets better. And there's biblical understanding and insight as to why that's true. But listen to me. The point he's trying to make is he says, nevertheless, back to the point of the principle or or the parable, the enduring prayer is what he's trying to get across. He says, nevertheless, in spite of all that stuff's going on, whatever you're experiencing, the point is when Jesus returns, is he going to find you walking in faith? Is he going to find you praying always without losing heart? Hanging in there with God. I don't know, man, but I'm just going to trust God. That's the point of the whole parable. Here's here's the third point then. We must endure until the answer comes. I've said this to you guys that have been with me for a long time, and I'll say it again. I'll keep saying it. Listen, so many times it's not that we're not doing the right thing. It's that we're not doing it long enough and with the right consistency for the promise to be able to come. We get all revved up and excited in a service and okay, we're believing God. And like Mark chapter four tells us, some people are like, you know, those, those uh, seeds that fall on the stony ground. As soon as it gets hot, not a lot of comfortability in, and they're like, ah, well, I tried that, never mind. But Jesus is saying, no, what I'm trying to cultivate in you is a deep and abiding trust in a living God who signed a contract to the point that I don't care what the circumstances look like. I'm going to believe God and stay in there all the way until the end, uh, until the the promise manifests or Jesus comes back. One, Hebrews chapter six, verse 11 says this, and we desire each of you to show the same earnestness, the same uh, intensity, the same focus, the same commitment, the same passion to have the full assurance of hope. Notice this until the end, the end of what? Well, either the end of that endeavor and the promise shows up or until the end, Jesus comes and gets you and it doesn't matter anymore. But we're supposed to step in and just stay right there with the Lord. No matter what, I'm trusting you. You promised you'll do what you said. I'm not deviating. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will remain the same. And I'm locking into what you said. Verse 11, verse 12 goes on and says, we do this so that you may not become sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience will inherit the promise. People that are inheriting promises, that are living anchored lives, that are watching God literally do, I can promise you, they're not people who just happen to be in the right place at the right time with the right song and the right service and the right feeling. These are people that have made a decision to anchor themselves and, and with patience and with faith just say, I'm not moving. This is what God said, and as far as I'm concerned, this is what's going to happen. Now, I don't have time to do a whole teaching, and it certainly deserves its own teaching, but let me just give you a quick kingdom perspective that filters its way in, into what we're talking about here, and that is that it's in, in the kingdom of God, it's really not about receiving the promise, although that's kind of what we, we, you know, we build a lot of, uh, of, of our faith and a lot of our doctrine on because that helps us to grow and it helps us to recognize that God's true. Really, this whole thing is about an endurance of faith. Did you know that most of what we're believing God for is going to burn up? It's temporary, right? 
Most of the stuff, the tangible measurables, that's, that, listen, it, it, it's going to leave. We're going to leave it all behind. We don't take it with us. It's not about that. It's about those things being focal points as we're building our faith and building our trust and building our relationship with the Lord. Even if we never receive the promise, we're growing internally to put our faith and our trust in a living God. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 is really by a lot of theologians called the hall of faith like the Hall of Fame. And, and you can read through there just wonderful stories about imperfect people who were in impossible situations and God intervened and did amazing things all the way to get to the last few verses. And the last few verses, if you're not reading with a kingdom perspective, kind of throws a curveball in everything. Because all of a sudden, it's like, you know, this person changed a nation, and that person changed their generation, and, and this person, you know, pulled themselves out of sickness and out of poverty, and, and it, it was a wonderful thing. And then all of a sudden, you find out some of these people gave their lives, and they were burned at the stake, and, and they were, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, expelled from their countries. And then it said some of them died never receiving the promise. And you're like, whoa, whoa, wait, what? What? What's that all about? But it goes on and says, because they, they had, God had something better for them, and he began to help them to understand, sometimes enduring faith is not even about you. It's about giving the next generation another level of God's word to stand on. Now, before you start arguing with me, as a parent, you know I'm telling the truth. Because if you're a good parent, so much of what you do sacrifices what you could have and could enjoy so that your kids can have another level of that. And you do it gladly. You do it with just such fervency and joy in your heart. You'll, you'll, you'll do without so that they can get a leg up. And then as you watch them kind of go higher and go broader than you ever thought you could, man, your heart just swells in happiness and joy. There's the same principle in a, in a spiritual endurance. Some of the battles that we're in have nothing to do with you, even though it's about a circumstance in your life. It's about you establishing a level of confidence and trust in God that the next generation will step onto and they'll go from there. And that's what Hebrews chapter 11 ends with by telling us the same thing Jesus did. Nevertheless, even if you don't see the demonstration in your lifetime, it's not just about you. It's about developing a confidence and a consistency in your relationship and your trust in God so God can work in you but through you and can help this go on to the next generation all the way till Jesus comes. That's a little kingdom perspective. Uh, you can track with that in Hebrews chapter 11. I believe it's in verse number 39, but it's right there towards the end of the chapter. Won't be hard to identify. All right, so, so that's the first one. The first one is endurance that will uh, be, be patiently, uh, steadfast while the promise comes to pass, while God works out what he wants. But let's move quickly to the next one because the next one's just as important. And that is that obtaining God's promise often requires a fight. Not with other people. Not with your spouse, not with your children, not with your boss, not with the government, okay? This is a fight of faith, and we're going we're gonna to understand what that means. So I, I don't have one passage to bring you to quickly, but I'm going to kind of skip a rock across several passages, and, uh, and you can go study and fill in the blank, but you'll, you'll get some of the, the main points here. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is talking to a crowd, 
And, and he's trying to understand, you know, they, they've been going and listening to John the Baptist, and he was such a controversial character, very polarizing, even though it, you know, either you loved what he was saying, or you were repulsed by his methodologies and his, his appearance. And there are people all over the map. But Jesus steps in, and he says, well, can I just ask you a question? What did you expect to find? When you're stepping into the kingdom, what, what is it you thought you were going to find? And he gives a couple of examples. I'll just summarize them. Some people think they're just going to find, you know, this wonderful kind of a kumbaya swaying. It's just so soothing and it's just so inspirational. Like you step into the field of daisies and your life just becomes ethereal and wonderful for the rest. And that's what some people think that real spirituality is about. Other people think that it's very pomp and very circumstance, and it's all about these rituals and, and you know, this high church kind of a feel, and, and, he's, and other people come to that, and when they realize, oh, it's pretty down to earth. I mean, it's pretty much rubber meets the road. You, you have to live this stuff out. It kind of throws them off. But Jesus tells them something about the real kingdom that they're about to step into in Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. He says, from the days of John the Baptist, you have to know, that when John the Baptist started preaching, repent because the kingdom of heaven is here. That was the first time anybody had preached that for 400 years. The last book of the Old Testament kind of zipped it up and God's not talking to anybody for 400 years and all of a sudden John the Baptist pops up and it's not just what he was saying boy you could sense God's in that something's stirring something's moving and he's announcing that the new covenant the new testament is coming the old covenant's going to go away the new testament's coming and Jesus said ever since the first day that happened Jesus said all the way until now and the new testament confirms that word now updates itself into our life all the way until now, listen to this, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. So if you kind of thought you're going to flip through a God's promise book or you're just going to look at, oh, that's a really, that, that's a, that's, wouldn't that be great? That's a great one. And you're just going to say, okay, in Jesus name, you're going to slap it on your mirror and you're going to say it three times a day and it's just going to happen. Listen, chances are you're going to have to fight for this. Chances are you're going to have to take what rightfully has been purchased and belongs to you, and you have to learn what that means and how to do that. And so when you look at that phrase, take it by force, it comes from one single word in the Greek, harpazo. And it's a powerful word because it, it depicts something that's been forcefully snatched from either a dangerous situation or a threatening enemy. So it's not just, you know, you're, you're seizing something, but you're seizing something, you're taking something back from something that's been stolen or something that rightfully belongs to you. In fact, let me show you where else it's, it's used, and I find it super interesting. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul's writing about the rapture of the church. When Jesus comes back, not the second coming, when Jesus literally comes to the earth, but the rapture of the church that happens long before that, when the Bible says that in a twinkling of an eye, that Jesus snatches his church out of the earth. 
And here's what Paul wrote. He says, then we also, I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 17, then we also who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Those two words caught up is one word in the Greek, harpazo. It literally means that when the, as the world continues to get what Paul called perilous in First and Second Timothy, dangerous, and, and it's just coming apart and it's chaotic and, and we can feel the pressure on the people of God as we're repelled and we're rejected and we're persecuted. As it gets really, really bad, there comes a point where Jesus snatches. He forcefully grabs his church away from a dangerous situation or a threatening enemy. It's the same exact word. And so we're talking about some, something that's very intentional, some, something that has an air of rescue or redemption to it. And this is exactly the, what Paul's painting. So what we're learning is the promises of God are not automatic. They're paid for. They're purchased. All of the promises are already you know, marked legally in heaven. Yes, they belong to you. And God's waiting for us to lean in, pros ukomai, to pray and to say, then Lord, we agree with that. So be it in my life. And then it gets activated and moves in your life. But there are times when you're going to face some opposition. And in those times, you're going to have to be willing to forcefully possess what belongs to you because there are a number of things that are opposing it and you have to understand. Now, let me give you some encouragement and comfort. Uh, a few chapters later in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he makes this very familiar statement. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So if you're going to invade enemy territory and the enemy knows you're coming, the first thing it does, it swings those giant gates of its fortress shut, locks them and fortifies it saying, you're never going to get in here. But the Bible says that the gates of hell, the fortresses of hell, when you declare, when you're pros ukomai, and you're praying and believing God, and you're refusing to let go, I am going to receive what God promised for me. This is what he said. When you take that stance, the gates of hell swings its gates shut and bolts them and locks them and does everything to convince you that's never going to happen. You're never going to, listen, you've been trying this for how long? All your life. You've tried this over and over. You were unsuccessful then. You're going to be unsuccessful now. Plus, look at the world. Things, it's chaotic. This is the wrong time to be believing God to move forward in any area. He's going to throw everything he can at you. But Jesus said the gates of hell, the fortresses of hell, no matter how hard they, they, they close up and how tightly they're locked, they will not prevail against you. And this word prevail is a Greek word that literally pictures a wrestling match that's happening in, in the arena. But one opponent is obviously stronger and more superior than the other, and that opponent quickly subdues the, the weaker opponent and then ends up winning the match. Well, this is exactly what Jesus said about us in 1 John 4, 4. It says, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. In other passages like Romans 8, 37, he says, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. So even though you feel weak and you feel, you know, like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. In, in, internally, you have the life of God. You have the word of God to stand on. And the Bible says when you enter this, this engagement, this wrestling match to secure the promises of God, you've already won from the beginning. This is why we say around here, we don't fight for victory. Victory's already ours. But we do have to fight from victory. 
to secure what rightfully belongs to us. And th- this is what it meant. Now let me skip one, one more scripture and, and we'll, uh, we'll bring this to a close. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, Paul's writing to this young pastor uh, uh, about these, these you know, dangerous times of opposition and they had you know, false teachers and false prophets and, and persecution was he He had so many things going on, not unlike today, but the intensity then was much worse than what we're experiencing. But here's what he says to him in 1 uh, Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. Now, other translations say, fight the good fight for the faith. And I'm going to point back to that. I just want you to make a mental note. Fight the good fight of the faith. Notice, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you've made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So in other words, you know that you've been called into a covenant with God that is an eternal covenant, never goes away. And you know that you've embraced some of these scriptures. You've said them in your prayer time. You've talked to them about them in, in connect groups. You've written them in cards to encourage other people. You, you, you have some experience in the homologia. We studied that last week. Saying the same thing God said, the same way he said it, with the same confidence in which he intends to fulfill it. You understand some of this because you've already started splashing around. And he said, but we're supposed to take hold of that eternal life. And this word take hold is the word epilobonomai. And it's a really, really important word because it means to take possession of something by seizure. Not just, well, I got to go down and pick up this thing that's, you know, at, at the call, the, the, will, the will call counter for me. No, it means to go and to take something by seizure. And some of you might be starting to put even this study together and say, okay, wait, 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 hold on, Pastor Gil. Because if God is the just and caring and responsive God who listens to our prayer and who answers us speedily, and if Jesus said the gates of hell can't prevail, then where's the fight? Who are we fighting, right? Because all the enemies, looks like everything's already been set up for us to be victorious. Absolutely true. But listen to me, the fight of faith is the internal battle that happens inside of you with your mind and your will and your emotions. And there are these opposing forces that are coming at you all the time. It can't counteract the word of God that's already settled and sealed in heaven. It can't challenge the authority of God. That's not ever going to change and go away. So what it challenges is your confidence. Remember we just read, it said, fight the good fight of the faith or for the faith. It's a fight to hold on to our faith and hold on to our confidence when our mind and our will and our emotions and all of these opposing forces are just pounding and pounding and pounding on us. That's why we need an anchor. That's why we need something we can point back to and say, well, the Bible says... God's word says. And so the fight of faith, it, we, we'll, we're going to study this at some point, but Galatians chapter 5 talks, it says it this way, that inside of us, we still have these two parts of us that are at war. There's the spiritual part of us that is understanding more and more what the word of God says and what God promised us. And then there's the fleshly or the natural, I'll say the natural part of us. It's the part that just rationale and logic. And yeah, I see what God says, but gee, look, statistics say, and in the trends in the world, in fact, I know other Christians and you know, this is what happened to them. And it all seems to be leaning that direction. We have this war that goes on inside of us all the time. And the Bible says it's very intentional where the natural or the carnal part of us 
is always in, at war and in direct opposition with the spiritual part of us. That's why, you know, we, we walk away from a study or from a connect group and we say, you know what? I just need to spend more time in, in the word of God. And you set your alarm for the next morning and you're, you're so tired the next morning, you can't even turn off your alarm. You're just exhausted because the flesh right away says, oh, so you want to take a step toward the spirit? Yeah, we ain't doing that. Listen, your natural person has been in charge for however many years you've been alive. Well, I shouldn't say that, but if you haven't countered that by submitting it to the Holy Spirit, that natural part of you has been in charge. Even when you were a kid, you wanted what you wanted, when you wanted it, how you wanted it. The Bible says foolishness is rooted, pre-wired in their heart when they're born into the earth. Nobody has to teach them to be selfish. Nobody has to teach them to not obey mom and dad. We're trying to teach them to understand the principles and live good, healthy lives. But listen, that's an uphill fight because we have a natural part of us. And when that natural part leans to the fleshly part, that natural part leans to the part that's not according to the word of God, it'll bring destruction. And Galatians chapter five says, this is a constant battle, constant battle that's going on. But uh, but here's three areas, and we'll cover them quickly, okay? Three areas that you're going to face in opposition. And listen to me, none of them are actually the circumstance. God's already provided answers to your circumstance. God can override circumstance. He's got plenty of whatever fill in the blank that you need from tangibles to intangible, internal. God's got plenty of resource to infuse you so you can overcome anything that the world, the world challenges. So we're not fighting the stuff. We're fighting this internal battle that happens to be focused on something that revolves around, you know, something more tangible. So here's three op areas of opposition you're going to encounter, but God wants you to understand that's normal, right? The opposition's normal. Doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. Doesn't necessarily mean you're doing anything right. It just means this is normal. This is part of the fight of faith, and you should expect that life is going to be laced with this. Here's number one. Everybody's going to face the effects uh, of, ex of our experiences when we're living in a fallen world. Nobody escapes that. I don't care how spiritual you are, nobody escapes it. John 16, 33, Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. It's going to happen. We're in a broken world. Stuff's going to happen. Things are going to happen. You're going to experience this. But he went on and said, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So number one, the effects everyone is experiencing when living in a fallen world. Here's number two, the attacks and accusations and temptations of an enemy that's trying to breach our covenant. He can't stop it, so he just tries to talk you out of it. And he does it through attacks, you know, all the appliances will break down or you and your spouse will get in a fight and you don't even know why you're fighting, but, you know, Jesus escalated quick and you're in the middle of the emotions now. Or, or accusations. By the way, some of the accusations he'll level against you are true. I thought you were spiritual. And yet there you are again, stumbling in that same thing. But some of the accusations that he levels against you are false. And the New Testament said he's the accuser of the brethren. It doesn't matter to him which, which side he leans into. He can either point out something that you're actually working through, or he can point out something that you think you probably should be better than you are, and you're not. And he's false, he's false accusing you. But there's lots of accusations that happen. Well, I, you know, I, I really should be this. Well, I know I messed up, so how's God you know, going to be willing to help me? And all this stuff that he's just pounding you with. And, and then the temptations, things that he knows where your weak spots are, where your tripping points are. So he'll go out of his way. And by the way, if he can't get you to trip up when you're awake, he'll get you while you're asleep. 
you'll have dreams and you'll wake up and you're already in the wrestling match. You're like, what the, I wasn't even thinking about, I wasn't even in that. I mean, I'm trying to stay away from, you know, those areas of, that are pulling me and distracting me. If he can't get you while you're awake, he'll get you while you're asleep. We're going to talk about that a little bit next week. How do you guard that part of yourself? And so the attacks and, and, uh, and the accusations, we won't turn there, but First Peter chapter 5, you can write down in your notes, verse 8 and 9, tells us that this is this prowling enemy, that we're supposed to be sober-minded, we're supposed to be on the watch, and every time that we encounter him, we're not supposed to give in, we're not supposed to entertain, we're supposed to resist him steadfast, firm in our faith. No, I'm not listening to you. Nope, you're a liar. Nope, I want to I know what God says about this. This is family business now. I've been redeemed. I'm inside the family of God. I'm washed in the blood of Jesus. I don't have to listen to you ever. If God wants to correct me, if the Holy Spirit wants to correct me, fine. This is family business. And you need to learn to stand up and do that. Here's number three, and this is where we'll land it. The internal arguments of our own unrenewed mind and undisciplined flesh. This is a really big one. You know, the Bible says uh, in Hosea that uh, God says, my people often perish for a lack of knowledge. I don't know. They, they might even know it informationally, but they don't know it transformationally. They haven't believed it yet. That's really the truth that they're putting their life on it. So you can then quote a scripture or two, but they're not basing their life on this. Let me give you James chapter four, uh, verses one and two. I think I said a moment ago that uh, John was the last scripture. This is the last one. My apologies. Uh, John, James chapter four, listen to this. <clears throat> and he's asking questions. I, I love James as a pastor because he was super practical. He didn't pull any punches. And he's like, yeah, don't, don't tell me about what you believe. Just let me watch your life and I'll tell you what you believe. And so he was always rubber meets the road, live it or be quiet. And so this is what he says in James chapter four. He said, so what's causing the quarrels and the fights among you? You and your spouse, you and your kids, uh, you and your job, you, know, you and the government, or, or you and other church people. He said, what, what is all that stuff? What, what is that? And he goes on and he says, don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Isn't it that you always want to be right? That you have your own opinion? That you have your own perspective that you think if everybody would just listen to me, I could solve the world's problems. And you just lock into this. Verse two, he says, you want what you don't have. And so you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't seem to get it. So you fight and you wage war and you take it away from them. But listen to the climactic statement. It's so sobering to us. It says, yet you don't have what you want simply because you don't ask God for it. I have to give you one more insight, okay? This word ask is not just kind of a usual, hey, let me ask you a question. It's the Greek word aiteo. And listen, if you ever had this notion that we as Christians have to go into the heavenly father and grovel on the ground and beg and plead to, for God to listen to us and give us one more chance and to meet our need. Listen to me, if you ever had that, if you understand this particular Greek word, it just wipes all of that notion away forever. It's just not possible. This is a very intentional word, and it literally is talking about a person who respectfully but firmly addresses a superior. 
but he does it because he already understands with confidence uh, the promise supply regarding the particular situation or a particular need. In other words, pros ukumai. He's leaned in, he's done his homework, he's had his conversations, and he knows what his superior wants to do and what his superior is willing and has already promised to do. And so he comes and he says, hey, remember we were talking about that thing last week and listen, I wanted to come in and ask you a question. Since this is what you said, and since this is where your heart is, and since this is what you promised, he comes in and firmly and confidently makes a, a formal request with the full expectation that he's going to receive exactly what he requested. And here's what the Bible says. You know why we keep getting all frustrated? We don't have this, and we don't have that, and we never seem to get ahead, and there's never enough money in the budget, and why do we keep fighting? And I told you a thousand times you need to do that. And what we, we, all that stuff, because we're not taking this stuff right to God. We're not understanding what does the Word of God say. We're not spending time talking to Him, saying, I'm struggling here. I, I, I just need you to help me put all the pieces of the puzzle together. Because when we lean in and we begin that deep conversation with God and we open the Word of God and we begin to see what His promises say and what are some of the qualifications. Listen, if you'll do this, I need you to shape this part. If you'll do this, then I'd be happy to do this. When we get into those conversations, it may not be every single day, but we come to these moments where we're like, okay, wow, I know exactly what He's, what he's trying to tell me. I know exactly what he promised he would do. And we come to God the next time with a whole different attitude. It's not one of confusion. It's not one of chaos. It's not one of insecurity. It's one of complete confidence that this God is a just and a caring God. That this God will listen to me, especially when I come and say, listen, uh, I've been talking to you for weeks now and the Holy Spirit's really been helping me. Here's what I know to be true. And I'm submitting myself to you. I'm not perfect. I'm all beat up in some of these areas, but put me back together. But I'm putting myself in alignment with you and I'm asking you in Jesus' name, fix this. I'm not going to live in a broken marriage the rest of my life. I'm not going to live in a loveless, you know, no romance and we're just going through. I'm, not, I'm just not going to do that. That's not what you promised. Fix this for me but you're doing it with a confidence that you know that he promised he will and he's going to deliver. That's what the Bible says. So stop fighting everything and everybody else. Stop trying to manipulate situations and feel like that you're using your prayer. Lord, just change their heart. Lord, make them do this. Lord, just speak to them. Stop. Lord, speak to me. Tell me what I'm supposed to do so that I can come to you with confidence and say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to work it out. I don't know who you're, going to, who you're going to talk to. I don't know what avenues you're going to adjust, but here's what I know. You promised me that you would do this, and I'm coming to you. I'm going to lock into it. I'm not going to ever change. And all those oppositions that come, circumstances and accusations and my own doubt and my own fear, I'm going to face every single one of them and say, nope, you are not going to move me off the Word of God. I am going to take by force what God promised me because he's a faithful God. Boy, when we learn to do that, I'm telling you, you're in a whole different ballgame. I'm just telling you. I'm telling you by the word of God, but I'm telling you because I'm learning this. I haven't, I haven't finished, but I'm learning this, but God wants us to be strong. This has been a great series. And uh, by the way, in the back of your workbook today, there was so much that I couldn't fit into this. So you've got another one or two lessons that if you want to dig, it, they're there. They talk about how do we now fight the fight of faith? We just found out what it was, but how do we do that now? And there's some great lessons. It's pretty thorough. You should be able to find your way through it. Uh, maybe we'll teach on it at some point in the future. Would you stand to your feet though? Let me pray for you. 
And as I pray, let me just say this. There's something in the, in the Bible that's very special about the agreement in prayer and laying on of hands. And I know for some of you, you're from other backgrounds and maybe you attended a church growing up and this was regular for them. You came up and you were blessed by the priest or, you know, or something like that. Listen, there's something very spiritual in those exchanges. And, and I just want to encourage those of you that are here, as we've been studying through this blood covenant, listen to me, God's moving in your heart. God's framing some things up. And if you're here this morning and you want agreement in prayer, you want people to lay hands on you and to impart something in your life. It's not weird. It's not mystical. This is normal for the kingdom. Then I just want to encourage you, make that a habit. Because if you walk away, it's like, I'm super thirsty. I've got the big cup in my hand. There's the fountain machine, but I just won't go over and stick my cup underneath. I don't understand why Christians don't do that. But for whatever your reason, if you're here this morning and you want to receive from the Lord, we're going to sing one more worship song. And as we do, our prayer and altar team is going to come up. Some of our pastors will come up. I'm going to step in there this morning. And if you need prayer, then before you leave this morning, we want to lay hands. You have to get your kids and come back. We get that. But we want to lay hands on you and pray as we seal off this teaching this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the word of God. Thank you for loving us so much that you signed a contract with us. Now get it in our heart, Holy Spirit. Push away all the doubt and all the insecurity and help us with clear minds and fresh eyes to be able to see and to understand what it is that you're trying to do. Then Holy Spirit, demonstrate yourself in great power. Demonstrate yourself in your great authority and do what only you could do like you promised you would so that we would be absolutely confident in the contract you signed for us. Lord, I pray for these people that are here today that you would speak to them the things they need to hear, that you would give them the courage to be able to step in the directions you're asking them to step, and then you would confirm that with them. We thank you for all of these things in advance. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.